Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're going to begin, a, actually, I think Chris started it last week uh, with kind of kicking off this whole suffering and death of Jesus. Uh, and the, the thing that I'm going to be jumping to this morning is Jesus' words to his disciples on that last night before he got arrested and, uh, and taken to the cross. And um, as I'm reading in uh, John 13 and then 14, which is a chapter for today, I thought back to something that happened. This was years ago. We were, uh, Nan and I were at this wedding, and we're sitting there, and there's this other couple who are friends of ours who are sitting next to us. And then the bride and groom get to their vows, and they had apparently made up some vows. And these vows went beyond the standard stuff and promises. I mean, these were pretty heavy-duty things. And I remember that when the groom was talking about all these things that he was going to do for his bride and what a servant he was going to be and, and everything. And um, yeah, the, the guy who was the groom, we knew him. And if anybody was going to fulfill those things, he was the kind of guy that could do it. And I remember my friend just turning to me with this rueful look on his face, and he said, I feel like such a dirtbag. And, you know, he just felt like, and I, I kind of felt that same way too. It's like, how, we're not measuring up to that level in our marriages, you know? We're, not, we're pretty inadequate when it comes to, uh, to that. And I think that's exactly the way that Jesus' disciples felt in um, John 13, as Jesus began to, to talk to them. And he starts out in 13, washing the disciples' feet, and, and he's saying things like, now that I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You know, he's saying, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's going, I have a high bar when it comes to loving. This is going to be some self-sacrificial service. It's going to really demand a lot of you. And I'm thinking that Jesus' disciples are going, man, how are we ever going to come up to that kind of standard? How can we do that? And then he tells uh, you know, Peter, well, I'll jump to the bottom there. He goes, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. He's, he's saying, yeah, I'm going to be leaving and going away. And they're, they're probably thinking, how are we ever going to do it without him there walking beside us? You know, how, how is this movement ever going to go on? What can we do all by ourselves? And then it, the one in the middle where that's the last verse of chapter 13 and Jesus tells Peter, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He's going, you're not going to measure up. You're going to fail here. And I'm thinking, if you were to say to the disciples, hey, let's sing that song that we just sang before, It Is Well With My Soul, they would probably go, we can't sing that. It's not well with our souls. They were, they were probably very discouraged. And that's why um, it interests me in John 14, you could almost sense that Jesus is sensing their discouragement. And he's going, okay, now let me give you some words of encouragement. And I don't know about you, but if you are feeling this morning, you're going, maybe you're just face to face with this inadequacy in your life toward the Lord. You're, you're, the weight of sin is just kind of hanging on you this morning. Um, as you're face-to-face with shortcomings, 
Or maybe you're just going like, I don't know if I'm accomplishing anything in my life. I don't know if anything is going anywhere. Or you're just feeling kind of alone. You know, and these are things I think that hit us. If they're not hitting you now, you can you know, count on something like that hitting you sometime sooner or later. What do you do? And I think these words of encouragement that Jesus gives his disciples here in John 14 are words that you and I can take to our hearts too so that we can say, yeah, it's, it's well with our souls. So he starts off by saying this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I think Jesus is setting the tone right off the top here, and he's saying, don't let discouragement take over. I mean, it's going to be coming at you, right? It just If not from your own thoughts, you know, it's like Satan's condemnation and his discouragement and, and his accusations, and he's going, don't let that take over. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me. And he starts off with this, trust me that I will never abandon you. I think this might have been one of their fears. You know, it's like, okay, we're, how can we measure up to his standards? And is there any way that he can accept me, to accept us? And he gives them like three promises here that are really great. In verse 2, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? He said, I got a great place for you stored up for you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You know, I, I was thinking about that, and I've always had this suspicion. This is probably incorrect, but I was thinking, is it possible that, you know, Jesus had the big mission of atoning for sin, but what if he had like a secondary or tertiary mission, you know, just a minor thing where he's going, you know what, I want to scope it out on, at ground level on earth and just check in to what it's like to be human here and what are these people like? What kind of things attract them? What kind of things can we put in to heaven so that when they get there, it's going to be great? You know, I mean, can I just imagine him saying, you know, ribeye steak. We got, we got to get some of that up there, you know? And just all the, you know, activities and stuff that give us joy. I mean, who knows? You know, a little research kind of thing. But he's going, I'm, I'm fixing up a place for you. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And he's saying, I'm promising you I'm going to come back to get you. This is right after he said, you're going to have failure. And he's going, yeah, but I'm still going to come and get you to be with me. And then he says, you and I will always be together so that you and I, uh, can, you can be where I am. You know, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And these are three great promises. I remember reading about the guy who wrote Peter Pan, uh, J.M. Barry. And I remember reading about his, his mother. Her name was Margaret Ogilvie. And this chapter of, uh, of John 14 was her all-time favorite chapter. And they said she read it every day, and she just, you know, this was so big to her that when she died, her Bible would just automatically fall open to John 14. And when she got so, you know, so blind that she couldn't even read it anymore, she would just let her Bible fall open to that chapter and kiss the chapter. And I remember um, when my grandfather was in his 90s and his eyes were failing and I'd go back to my parents' house where he was living and I'd say, Grandpa, is there anything you want me to read to you? 
And he'd say, read John 14. And this is just a chapter that's worth reading again and again and again. These first, especially these first verses are just so encouraging when Jesus says, just trust me, I'm not going to abandon you. And then Jesus goes on and he goes like, trust me that I'm the only way to get there. So he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Jesus isn't going, hey, I got this cool like, system here. He's going, I personally am the way. And he's going, no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, people in our day find this verse very offensive. They're going like, what? He's the only way? These other ways don't work? Where's the diversity? You know, where's the inclusion? This sounds kind of like uh, bigotry right here and prejudice. He's saying he's the only way, you know? And they get just really frustrated with this verse. But Jesus is going like, yeah, I got the only way that's actually going to work here. You know, just I want you to think about this, like in terms of, just imagine the most like overpriced amusement park in the world, okay? And uh, it's gonna cost you like many, many dollars to go there. And you find yourself with, you know, about $7 in your wallet and that's it. And you're going, I don't have a prayer to get there. And you, you know, and anybody who comes along and, and says, well, I got this way that you can make a few bucks. It's not even gonna make a dent in what it's gonna take to get to this awesome place. What you and I need in the final analysis is somebody who's going to totally pay for us. And that's the situation that you and I find ourselves in. You know, we can have all the systems in the world to try to, like, get in good with God. They're not going to work. We're never going to get there. You know, we don't have enough goodness in us or potential goodness to really make it things right between us and God. He's going to have to pay for it himself. And if you go back to this uh, verse 7, it says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's going, look it, I'm God. I'm God. And so I'm capable of paying a price that no human being can pay on his own, and no group of human beings can do that. Jesus is the only way to God that actually solves our problem. Everything else is going to fall short. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's going, you're looking at God. I've got these, I can take care of this for you. And then he says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now, Jesus doesn't get specific about the work of the Father, about the Father's plan for us, but it became clear the next day. You know, less than 24 hours later, Jesus would be on that cross, and he's paying with his very life for all the stuff that came between us and God. He's laying it down. The price isn't money. The price is the life of the Son of God here, and he's atoning for us. And Jesus says, believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works 
themselves. You know, uh, you've probably seen these commercials, the He Gets Us series that's been on TV. It's like these little one-minute commercials. And they're nice, but they don't go far enough, do they? They're basically saying, look it, we're falling short, and Jesus feels sorry for us, right? He kind of understands us. He's empathetic about it. But that's not enough. It's not enough. I need someone with a capital S to pay for me, to take care of the problem completely. Jesus is the only one who holds out the hope of God himself paying for our brokenness. And that is why Jesus can say to a a bunch of inadequate disciples who really resemble us, he's going, I'm not going to abandon you. i got a place for you. We're going to be there we're going to be there together forever. We can have that promise even though we have fallen short. And then he says, trust me to empower you to do great things for me. And I think this was another thing that they were, I'm sure they were worried about. How are we going to do these things in his absence? And how are we ever going to accomplish these great things that he wants us to do? You know, uh, when Hitler died, Um, there were actually literally thousands of suicides of Germans. I remember reading this book called Promise Me You'll Shoot Yourself. And, you know, here's this leader, this crackpot leader that they had, and he's, like, gone. And they're going, like, wow, he's gone. There's no hope for us. This picture on the right-hand side, there's a snapshot of the office of the um, deputy premier, or deputy mayor, I mean, of Leipzig after he and his wife and his daughter committed suicide after they heard Hitler was dead. And this, this was replicated thousands of times across Germany. And I think the disciples are going, if Jesus is gone, are we going to be in a position where this whole thing falls apart? You know, in a less dramatic way, in our culture, we have a lot of family businesses that do wonderful as long as the, the founder is around. But they say by the second generation, 70% of those businesses fail. And by the third generation, 90% go down. I remember reading a little treatise about this uh, by Friedman and Grinchbun, and it's, they said your successors you know, to that founder don't have your vision or your abilities or motivation. That, su- that succession plan just bombs out, right? Because it can't keep it going the way the founder had it done. And Jesus had a succession plan, and here's what it is. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. He's talking about you and me. He says, you'll be doing the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I mean, I read this, and I'm going like, wait a minute. Steinman last week talked about how, you know, Jesus raised a guy from the dead. And he's going, they're going to do even greater things. But I think he's talking in terms of just the widespread impact here, right? Remember in Pentecost, a month and a half later, 3,000 people came to the Lord on a sermon by Peter, right? That was probably 10 times as many as, as came to the Lord through Jesus' ministry uh, up to that point. And he says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the, Son, uh, the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And he's going, your prayers will accomplish much. And this is a word for you and me. He's going, if you're praying in my name, 
I'm going to be listening to that. I'm going to be responding to that. Now, we've got to understand this business about praying in Jesus' name. You know, I grew up kind of thinking that that meant it was sort of a little mantra that went at the end of a prayer. You know, so, I mean, I'd pray for, you know, I want to have French fries for supper in Jesus' name. Well, that's not exactly an in-Jesus-name prayer, I don't think. An in-Jesus-name prayer is like a prayer that Jesus himself can get behind, something that's part of his mission. You know, so if I pray, oh, Lord, I want to make sure that my plagiarism on my doctoral thesis, well, I can totally get away with it so I can be president of Harvard in Jesus' name. No, eh, that one doesn't work, right? Jesus is not into cheating. He's not going to bless your mess, you know. If you're doing things that are against his will, don't expect your prayers for that success of that to, to, to happen. You know, I'm going like, oh, Lord, please help me to be happy every day in Jesus' name. No, eh, that's, not his, that's not the big plan right here. But if I'm praying for my, for my daughter and my son-in-law to, to come to know him and to believe in him in Jesus' name, that's Jesus' kind of prayer, you know? And there are prayers probably that are going up from you about your family members and people that you love and situations where you're going like, Lord, work in that situation. He hears those prayers. Those are in his name, and he's going like, I will do those things. Sometimes you're going, Lord, it's been like 15 years, it's been 20 years. He's going, trust me. Trust me on this. Your prayers have been heard. They have impact. Keep it going. Keep it going. You know, don't give up on that. Your prayers will accomplish much. My, you know, my problem isn't like that I'm not praying those things, but I got a problem with motivation. You know, there's a lot of things I want to do for the Lord. Oh, that would be so good if I would do that. But I got this lazy person that lives inside of me. Don't you kind of sense that yourself sometimes? You're going, yeah, that would be so good, but I can talk myself out of anything like that, you know? I just want to just want to be selfish, you know, and kind of have it my way and get away with it and have somebody else do the job. I don't know if, you, uh, if you're aware of this thing that I guess is on social media. I just read about it since I don't do social media. But I was thinking uh, these three tests, relationship tests. Have any of you heard of these? One is the orange peel test. So the, this is the way the test works. It's like the girlfriend says to her boyfriend, she's going, oh, I'm... I'm getting hungry here. Can you bring me an orange? Oh, and can you peel it too? And then she waits to see if the guy is actually going to do it. You know, the second test is the bird test. So this guy's in the other room. Maybe he's watching the game or something like that on the tube. And his girlfriend's at the window in the, in the adjoining room. And she goes, oh, come in here. There's this beautiful bird out there. You've got to see this. And then she waits to see if the guy is going to get out of his, his chair and come to the window, okay? These are getting tougher, aren't they? And then, <laughs> that's, that's a hard one. It depends on what the game is, okay? So, but, and then the third one is the ketchup test. And this is where they're standing together in the kitchen by the counter, and she deliberately squirts ketchup on the counter and asks him to clean it up. Is he going to do it? <laughs> I'm going like, okay, those are nice things, but the motivation, especially in number two and, and number three, for sure, I'm going like, hey, you squeezed it on her. Take care of it, you know, come on. 
You know, and so, but I find myself with stuff that the Lord wants me to do, and I sense I'm supposed to do it, really having a problem. And, he, and, and Jesus is going, disciples, I'm not going to be standing right by you to make sure you do it. I'm going to be gone. What's the answer here? And Jesus says in verse 15, he goes, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor, you know, helper, somebody who's going to talk to you about this, to help you and, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus was their first counselor. He was the guy who walked alongside him and go, hey, let's do this. He says, now I'm going to give you another counselor. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, that's him, and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's going, look it. I used to be alongside you. Now my spirit's going to be inside you. I'll be closer to you than ever before. I mean, we have this advantage over these disciples uh, at this stage of the game for them because the Holy Spirit lives in, in us and he's directing us and he's motivating us and he's encouraging us to do these things that God wants us to do. Before long, the world will see, will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And I take this as like, I'm going to like give you that real spiritual life, and it's going to give life to your desire to obey. You know, as believers, we want to do the right thing, don't we? We want to pray in our spirits, but like Jesus said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You know, that, that lazy man inside is just hard to get him into action. And for that person, for you and me to come alive, you know, he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give life to that desire. On that day, you'll realize I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And I believe this is a promise of transformation. When he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And if you can honestly say this morning, hey, I love the Lord. He's promising you, you will obey. He's going to work in you. He's going to work in me. His, his spirit is going to call out to us and encourage us. And we are going to grow. That's his promise. We're going to grow in that. And one more thing he says about the spirit. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. we got the ACT coming up for all of our juniors. Like, Alicia, you got this test coming up there on Tuesday, you know? And I got this AP English class, and somebody, somewhere, put the fear of God into these people about the ACT. I mean, they're going like, oh, this test! We're going to study six hours for that this weekend. I'm going, like, really? But they're going, and did you see the big book that is the, the manual for that thing? And you know, I'm going, you're going to study for that thing? Wow. And it's like, 
It's like crazy. I mean, they're going like, I get this impression. They're thinking, if I don't do well on this test, I'm going to be destitute for the rest of my life. There's no hope for me at all, you know? So, and I like, I, I pray for them about this test, okay? And I tell them the story of uh, when I took the uh, comps for my master's program. At the end of all these courses I took, taking this comprehensive test that goes like four hours, I come to this part on the test where I'm like drawing a complete blank. I'm supposed to write some kind of essay about some topic. I'm going like, what's this? I mean, I have studied for this thing. I have prepared well and everything. I'm drawing a blank. And then I remember John 14, 26. And it says there, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. It says the Holy Spirit teaches all things, right? Everything. And that can include master's program stuff, right? So I decide I'm going to pray. I'm going like, Lord, I'm clueless on this part. Teach me what I'm supposed to know on this part of the test. And I'll tell you what, it's like it's, all of a sudden I'm starting to get ideas, you know, and it started to become clear. Now, some people might consider that cheating, but, <laughs> but I don't think it is. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is our teacher, then what was left out by our instructors, he can fill in, you know what I mean? And so I'm going, we can, and when I pray for my students, I'm praying, yeah, the Holy Spirit, bring back to their minds all this stuff. And he not only transforms our thinking about like stuff like that, but he transforms our thinking about what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, you know? He's the one who changes our hearts. It's just such a great thing. You know, uh, I told you before, I, I reminded you of those, you know, he gets us commercials. There is a pastor in uh, England who said, there's a better way to do this commercial. So he crafted a one-minute commercial. Instead of he gets us, he calls it, he saves us. And if you got the sound on right now, let's, let's check this thing out. Don't ask me, but you know it's true. Don't have to tell you. Isn't that great? I love that. I would have loved to have seen that during the Super Bowl, you know? I don't know how many times I've watched this over and over again. It's just inspiring. But that's what John 14 is about. He transforms us. He saves us. He redeems us. He's so good, you know? So finally this wraps up. So we'll finish this off. He says, also, trust me for real peace. And so he comes full circle from the way he started where he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I uh, want to lead into that. I read this book recently by Joan Didion. It's kind of a famous modern uh, nonfiction classic. 
And she talks about what happened when her husband dropped dead on December 30th, 2003. Her husband was John Gregory Dunn, pretty famous novelist, screen, screenwriter. She's a famous writer herself. They're they you know, well-known kind of people, made a lot of money off of that. And um, the day before he died, they were riding in a taxi, and he said, everything he had done, John said, was worthless. He said that the novel was worthless. Why did I waste my time on that piece about Natalie Wood, he said. He, started, he was just face to face with just how his, he had wasted, I guess, his life as he saw it. And then they were, the day after, on December 30th, they were at home, she was in the kitchen making supper, he was sitting in the living room, and they were conversing back and forth, and she asked him a question and he didn't answer. And as she walked back in the room, he was slumped over and he had died. It's like some kind of heart thing right there. And for the next year, she couldn't process this. She just couldn't accept the reality. That's why she called it the year of magical thinking. And she talked about how she wouldn't visit any place that they had visited together. How she just um, kept his clothes and just kept thinking, what could I have done? Or how should this have been changed? And what did we miss here? And all this list of all these great people that could answer all the questions, it just wasn't any good. And she just wandered around, just like he had done his whole life. And then I got to the last page of the book, the very last sentence of the book, and here's why he had and she had no peace. No eye is on the sparrow, and John did tell me that. He, five times in the book, she quotes him as saying, there's no eye on the sparrow. You know what he's referring to? You know how Jesus once said when they were worried, he told his disciples, he said, Jesus, he says, God's eye is on the sparrow. He even cares about these little birds that nobody notices. If he cares about the sparrow, how much more does he care about you? And, and John Dunn and Joan Didion, they could never accept that. They just wouldn't turn to Jesus. They were going to try to make it on their own. No peace, no peace. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and he's saying to us this morning, no, don't go down that road. You need to trust me. I will give you real peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives with their escapist peace and their self-help peace. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The very words that he used at the beginning of the chapter. And he's telling us, I think, this morning, he's going, look it, trust me that I have accepted you and I'm going to receive you because of what I am going to be and have done on the cross. Trust me that I'm the way to get there. Trust me. Trust me that I can do great things in your life and you'll be able to advance my work. Trust me to transform your life so that when all is said and done, you're going to go like, yeah, it was good. And you'll be welcomed in with a well done. So let's pray. Lord, I um, just want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart and just on behalf of my brothers and sisters here for the fact that you love us so much that you accept us even in our own inadequacy and the fact that we just haven't, haven't done well many times in our lives. And Lord, you know about how hard it is in our own sinful flesh 
uh, to walk it out with you, and I thank you for that spirit that you have promised and is living at this moment inside of us. And so I just pray for your continued encouragement as we walk through these situations that can really get us down. Just lift us up the way only you can and keep our trust fully in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is the Prince of Peace. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.